Well, good morning, Georgetown Christian. My name is Aaron Striegel. I'm filling in today. Uh, many of you probably have already heard, but our pastor, Robin Tyler's mother, passed away a couple of days ago. And so he is out of town uh, with his family in Bloomington. And then, of course, a couple of weeks ago, Chris Tanner's grandmother passed away, and he was in Illinois with his family for that funeral. He's back now, but short turnaround, so I was asked to, to preach today. By occupation, I'm a school counselor, but I pastored churches for 40 years uh, in, different, in Indiana and in Kentucky, and so uh, I'm not new to the pulpit. And so uh, today, we're going to be preaching about, is Jesus unique? Is Jesus unique? I'm going to be using all different types of scriptures. If you want to start today and open your Bible to John 10, uh, verses 14 to 16, That'll be the first one you'll see on the screen here shortly. This also is a kind of a screenshot of the uh, elective I'll be teaching starting next week called Counterculture. So it kind of gives you a screenshot of what we'll be talking about in there. Is Jesus unique? Almost all people in the world who've heard of Jesus would claim that Jesus is a good man. Even secular scholars would agree and say, yes, Jesus was a good man. And a lot of Muslims would have heard of Jesus and say he was a good man. And Jews who do not believe that Jesus was the Messiah would say he was a good man. And they base those things on things like they read about Jesus uh, took care of the poor and the needy. And that he went to those who were rejected by society and, and, and talked to them. And he taught us to, to love our enemies and he suffered for his beliefs. And so they would say that Jesus was definitely a good man based on those things, but they also deny him as the Son of God. Even though they say he was a good man, they simply do not believe in their heart that Jesus was the Son of God. In fact, they would probably say, was Jesus unique, instead of saying, is Jesus unique? Because we believe that Jesus is alive in the world today and he exists in our hearts and works among men and women here in our world today. And I truly believe that Jesus is unique and is alive in the world today as well. These individuals who reject Jesus as a son of God cannot identify with a God that suffered and died on the cross. A lot of times they come to this realization that I want to do things my way. And when I read about Jesus, he talks about we have to declare our sins before him, and we have to repent, and we have to show humility, and we have to sacrifice. And as Americans, we don't like to do that a lot of times. We like boldness and people who stand up. We like that Lone Ranger type figure. And yet when it talks about humility and sacrifice, we don't want to do that as an individual, but God is calling us to do that. This means that we must come face to face with who we are when we stand before Jesus Christ. We must look at him and realize that we are a sinner in need of grace. And the only way to salvation is through Jesus Christ himself. The Bible tells us very clearly in Luke 9, 23, whoever wants to be my disciple 
as Kurt said in the elective video we're going to see here in a little bit, whoever wants to be my learner, who wants to be my follower, whoever wants to be my disciple must what? Must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. We don't like denial, do we? We like to indulge. My wife said, well, I'm going out of town this week on a retreat for my work, so she baked me a carrot cake last night. I not only had one piece, I had two pieces of carrot cake because I like to indulge. That's my favorite cake, right? So I'm going to eat more than what is normally required. So I indulged in that carrot cake. We don't like to deny ourselves anything, but Jesus says we have to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily, not every once in a while, not when we feel like it, what, not when it's convenient, but take up our cross daily and follow him. So is Jesus unique? Absolutely he's unique. And there's some things that set him apart. First of all, Jesus Christ was set apart from everyone else. Jesus said that he is the good shepherd. He is going to seek the sheep that are lost. He's implying that the world is lost, that he is not that he came to seek and save the world. The scripture passage behind me, which I ask you to open up to, John 10, verses 14 through 16. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Jesus is saying right away, if you know him, you have a relationship with him. What's it like to have a relationship with God? That means he knows you intimately. He knows everything about you. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. So Jesus is saying, I have this relationship with my sheep. I also have a relationship with God the Father. I know him. He knows me. It's a love relationship. Why? Because I'm going to lay down my life for the sheep. I'm going to show them sacrificial love. I'm going to take their sins upon myself, go to the cross, and die in their place. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Gentiles, not the Jewish people. He's talking about Gentiles, which you and I are considered Gentiles, to be brought into the fold of Christ. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and we will be one flock. There shall be one flock united under Jesus Christ. Ancient shepherds spent considerable time with their flocks. From the moment a lamb was born, the shepherd's voice could be heard by that lamb, and eventually that lamb who became a sheep would follow that shepherd anywhere because he recognized the voice of the shepherd. They would not go to other voices of other people who tried to call them. Because that shepherd's voice was unique. They knew who it belonged to. It belonged to that shepherd. What about us? We have the voice of God calling us through Jesus Christ. Do we recognize his voice and do we follow him? Do we go where he calls us to be? Because he knows every detail about you. The Bible says he knows every hair on top of your head. Now, some of us got a lot more hair than others, of course, out there, but he knows every hair on top of your head. He knows you distinctly, uniquely. That's the amazing thing about God. And God expressed his love for his sheep through Jesus Christ by sacrifice, by sacrifice 
which is the definition of what love is all about. Imagine that you need a, a life-saving operation. You need a kidney, and you did not have the money for it. You didn't have insurance. You found it's going to cost you $50,000 for this kidney to save your life. And so the news media comes, and they put this out on the, on the television, and they put it through the newspaper and social media. And all of a sudden, a billionaire contacts you and says, I'm going to give you the $50,000 you need for that operation. That'd be a great gift, would it not? But it probably would not be sacrificed because what is $50,000 to a billionaire? But if he told you, I found out that I am a donor and I match you, I'm going to donate one of my kidneys to you, wouldn't that not be sacrifice? Absolutely, because that kidney is going to give you life, to sustain your life here on this earth. The Bible tells us that Jesus loves us so much that he was willing to lay his life down for us. John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this than to lay down their life for a friend. Did Jesus do that? Absolutely. He laid down his life for us. And all he could ask us to do is to accept him as Lord and Savior, follow him in baptism, and we'll be saved. Jesus, secondly, put himself in a moral category in which he stood alone. Everyone in this world is a sinner. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. Everyone's a sinner. The Bible tells us in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, I actually knew a person one time who told me they never sinned. They said, I don't sin, none of my kids sin. Well, the Bible has an answer for that too. 1 John 1.8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Okay? So we all are sinners. Everyone is in darkness until you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And the Bible says that Jesus is the light of the world in John 8, verse 12. The Bible also tells us in Psalm 51, 5, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. So we're born into sin, we have a sinful nature about ourselves. When I was working on a master's degree, I was assigned to go to this daycare and watch these two and three-year-olds, these toddlers in this room to, to record and write about behaviors that I saw in this child development class I was taking. And I was behind like this one-way mirror and they could not see me. And these two and three-year-olds, there was toys and stuff laid out. And you could see a little boy pick up a toy. And another boy decided he wanted that toy. And they'd be pushing, shoving, slugging each other. All this kind of stuff was going on. They'd be saying things like, my or me or it belongs to me. No, you leave me alone. That kind of thing. We think of two and three-year-olds as being pretty innocent, don't we? But they're even born with that selfish nature about them. And then they grow up to be teenagers, right? Amen to that, right? My wife and I raised five. We know what it was like, okay? And so try to take away their cell phone. Oh, mercy. You're going to have me and mine and all belongs to me and all this kind of stuff going on with that because that selfish nature comes out during that time. 
Okay? Jesus set himself apart because he says, I am the light of the world. You believe in me, I'm going to overcome this sin, overcome this darkness. Jesus also says in John 6, 35, he is the bread of life. Everyone is hungry for something in their life. We try to fill this hunger from the things of the world or our own desires. And once we attain those things, once we get those things, we realize it's a fallacy. It didn't really satisfy as much as I thought it would. You've done that before. You had to have this one car or this object, and you bought it. And after you got it, you had buyer's remorse, didn't you? You're like, man, I thought this would really make me happy if I had this souped-up Mustang, and I'm driving down the road. Everybody look at me. But then I found out, man, i got to pay for repairs. i got to pay for insurance. It's not such a great thing after all, is it? The things of the world fade away, but Jesus does not. Jesus says, if you eat of my bread, you'll be filled. Everyone's thirsty for change. Jesus says in John 37 that he gives life giving water, that you're never thirsty again, that he fulfills that need, that desire within you when we thirst for all kinds of things. We have a word in our society, you know, it did not appear until the Industrial Revolution, and the word is boredom. That word never appeared until the Industrial Revolution came into our society. Now people all the time say, I'm just so bored. I'm just so bored. I have nothing to do. I have nothing to do. How many channels do you have on your television set? Like 5,000 or something, you know? We have the ability to get in our vehicles and drive and go anywhere we want to. But yet we claim we're bored all the time. We pick out these phones and we can go and search anything we like and go on these apps and but we still, we thirst for something in our lives, and that thirst is Jesus Christ. Everybody else is a sinner, but Jesus forgives sins. Two occasions in the Bible where Jesus forgave sin and observers accused him of blasphemy. The first one's in Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. Jesus was home in Capernaum. There was a large crowd gathering, so much so that there was no more room in the house. And these individuals had brought their, their friend who was paralyzed because they knew if they got near Jesus, he could probably heal their friend. And so they couldn't get through the crowd, so they went on top of the roof and tore the roof apart and lowered their friend down where Jesus was. And look, notice what Jesus says here in Mark 2, verses 5 through 7 on the screen. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? There is God standing right in front of them through the person of Jesus Christ, and they still did not recognize him. The other incidents recorded in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, verses 48 through 49, Simon's house. Simon was a Pharisee. He invited Jesus to a meal in his home. And it was custom in those days, you invite somebody to your home, you were supposed to provide them a, some water for their feet and a, you know, a towel so they could clean up because they're all wearing sandals, the dusty roads, you know, there as they walked. He didn't do that. But this woman who was a prostitute, she was sorry for the life that she was living. She bought this expensive jar of perfume, brought it into Simon's home, poured the perfume on Jesus' feet. Her tears 
washed the dust off his feet. She let down her hair and took her hair and dried off his feet. And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Can you forgive sins? No. Can Jesus? Absolutely. Third thing, Jesus not only claimed authority to forgive sins, but also claimed authority to judge mankind. Several of Jesus' teachings imply that he's going to return, he's going to sit on his throne, and he's going to determine our eternal destiny. In John chapter 5, verses 26 through 29, you see on the screen, For as the Father has life in himself... So he has granted the Son also to have life in himself, as he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. That was Jesus' favorite title about himself, Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice, talking about the Son of Man, and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. Jesus here is emphasizing the role that he's going to play in eternal life. In John 1, verse 4, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In Hebrew, light is a symbol of truth and goodness and knowledge. And Jesus is talking about life in this case. It means a continuation of existence through the power and nature of God. When we read this chapter, uh, chapter 5 in John, there are some verses before uh, 26 here uh, through uh, 29, which Jesus emphasizes even more about this idea of light and life. I want to read these to you. John 5, verse 21 for just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom He is pleased to give it. So Jesus is telling His audience, you know, I'm basically the Son of God, and the Son of God is going to give life to those who He decides to give life to. I'm the eternal judge is what He's saying there. And then in verse 24 in John chapter 5, I tell you the truth, whoever hears My word and believes Him who sent Me, they have eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. And in verse 25, I tell you the truth, a time is coming, is now come, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear it will live. Jesus is saying, this scripture is being fulfilled in me. And Jesus told his listeners here not to marvel at this, and they would not marvel at it because they understood what resurrection was all about. There was only one group during this time who did not believe in the resurrection. That was the Sadducees. But Jesus' audience understood there would be a resurrection of the dead. And basically he's saying here in verse 28 and 29, you see on the screen, that I am linking this common held belief to my own ministry, because I'm the one who's given power and authority over judgment to judge you. That's what Jesus Christ is telling his audience, because he's saying, basically, I am the Son of Man. And the audience would have understood what Son of Man was all about, because it's contained in the book of Daniel, chapter 7, verses 13 and 14 in the Old Testament. I'm going to read that to you. 
In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So Jesus is saying, I have the power not only to forgive sins, but also to judge you at the end of time. And maybe Jesus' most extravagant claim is found in John 14, 6, when Jesus said the following, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is saying if you want to be reconciled to God, it has to start and it has to come through me. Now this goes against what our culture teaches here around the world right now in our culture. People act like that all religions are the same. You've probably heard people say, well, all, all religions are the same. They all lead to the same place. They do not. They do not. There is only one way to God, and it's through Jesus Christ. People base these things on what we call cultural ethics. Cultural ethics teaches that whatever most people say is right, then it must be right. People will say, well, you know, Aaron, you know, the United States Supreme Court and our Constitution says, you know, that basically that all religions are equal. Well, that might be what our Constitution says, and that might be what, you know, the Supreme Court says, uh, but God says something else in His Word, okay? Witchcraft is not equal with Christianity. Uh, Buddhism is not equal with Christianity. The Muslim religion is not equal with Christianity. Confucianism is not equal with Christianity. Look what the Word of God says is going to happen at the end of time in Philippians chapter 2 verses 9 through 11. It's going to be on the screen behind me. Therefore God exalted him, talking about Jesus, to the highest place and gave him a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and under the earth, and every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So how does this impact our worldview? There's coming a day where every Muslim is going to bow before Jesus Christ. There's coming a day where every witch and warlock is going to bow before Jesus Christ. There's coming a day where every Buddhist is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's coming a day where the saved and unsaved, we all are going to bow before Jesus Christ and say, He is the Son of God. That is what is going to happen. But our cultural ethics says things like, well, if God is loving... Why does he condemn sin? Why doesn't he let us just have all the fun that we want? And we can do whatever we want. He's supposed to love us, right? Then why can't we just do whatever we want to do? Well, if God ignored sin, he would not be holy and he would not be just. 
Think about it this way. If there was a local judge here in our community and you knew the evidence was overwhelming that this person standing before him raped an individual, he let him go, how do you think people would feel about that? Or there was evidence this person murdered somebody, it was overwhelming, they let him go. Or they broke into your home and they stole a bunch of stuff and you get it on video camera, you got the thief identified, you go to court and he lets them go. Is that justice? You'd be mad as a hornet, wouldn't you? You think the media would get involved in that? Absolutely they would. Because that decision by that judge, whether it be a male or a female judge, it would not be just, would it? Because they did not get the punishment by law that says they were supposed to get. And cultural ethics will say, well, how can God punish sinners? How can God let, you hear this argument, good people go to hell? We're not good people. We're all sinners. How can they let good people go to hell? The better question to ask is this. God, how can you be holy and just and still let guilty sinners into heaven? There's only one answer, folks, and it's Jesus Christ. That's what the answer is. Jesus lets guilty sinners into heaven because we're covered by the blood of Jesus Christ once we accept him as Lord and Savior. Look what the Scripture says here in John 3, starting at verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. We know that scripture, right? We've heard that scripture. You go to ball games, you see somebody holding up a sign that says John 3.16 and all this kind of stuff. We know John 3.16, but we don't like to quote what follows behind it. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That was the mission of Jesus Christ. To take our place on Calvary's cross. All of our sin placed on him, put on him. So if we accept him, we are not condemned, but we have the gift of eternal life. Whoever believes in him, in verse 18, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict in verse 19. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. We are sinners. Our deeds are evil. If we have never accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the Bible says we're condemned already. But there is a way out through that person of Jesus Christ. We look at all the other religious leaders of the world. Where's Joseph Smith of the Mormons? Dead in the ground somewhere. Where is Muhammad of the Muslims? Dead in the ground somewhere. Where is Buddha? of the Buddhist, dead in the ground somewhere. Where is Jesus Christ? He is alive. He lives within each one of us who confess him as Lord and Savior. And the Bible gives us overwhelming evidence that after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he was seen by all these individuals, by Mary Magdalene, by Peter, by the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, Jesus' disciples in the upper room, 500 people at one time. James, the brother of Jesus, saw him, and Saul, whose name later was Paul, on the road to Damascus. 
We even have historical documents from the historian Josephus, who was not a believer in Christ, but records the death and resurrection and the appearance of Jesus later on. So Aaron, are you telling me that Jesus is the only way to God? Absolutely, unequivocally, without a doubt, Jesus is the only way for salvation. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 2.8, for it's by grace that you have been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. And that's what it is. It's the eternal gift from God himself because we cannot save ourselves. So the ultimate question in here today is this. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you believe the gospel is the word of God? Do you believe in that truth? Because I'm going to tell you something. I've spent 40 years in ministry. And basically people fall into three different types of categories who either come to church or who worship online. The first category is this. Individuals who come to church, but they have never accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They're being wooed by the Holy Spirit. They know they're not in right relationship with God. There's something missing in their life, and they keep coming to church. And sometimes when you talk to these individuals, they will say things like, well, let me get myself together first, and then I'll come to Jesus. Or I've got to work out a few things over here, and then I'll come to Jesus. It doesn't work like that. The Bible says in Isaiah 64, 6, our righteousness is like a filthy rag. And the Bible also tells us in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not next week, not a month from now, but today is the day of salvation. If you're listening to this right now, if you're in here right now or listening online, let me tell you something. I am praying for you. I cannot stand up here and not tell you the truth. You have to hear the truth. This is what God says in his word. So today's the day for your salvation. Make that choice today. Second group that I've seen in churches, and I don't know how these names came about, but people like to cling to them. They call themselves open-minded Christians or progressive Christians. They say things like, I really believe in Jesus' teachings about heaven, but I don't believe that stuff about hell. Do you know that Jesus talked more about hell than he ever talked about heaven in the Gospels? Uh, they'll say things like, I really like the philosophy from this guy's teachings, this man over here, but I really don't buy into all this stuff in the Bible. You know, I go to church, I'm okay, I'm all right, you know, I know where I stand. Let me tell you very clearly where you stand. You're lost. If you do not believe the Word of God is eternal truth, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior into your heart, the Bible says you're condemned already. You want the gospel truth? That's the gospel truth. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3.19, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. All these philosophies out here, all these political leaders, all this other stuff we listen to, to God it's foolishness. You want the truth? Here's the truth right here. Cling to that. Let it change your heart, change your life. 
I'm praying for you too, but you'll come to that saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Third group I see in the church are those who have been saved, those who have been sanctified, those who stand behind Jesus Christ through trials, tribulations, whatever comes their way, though they be mocked by the world, mocked by the media, they still stand for truth. No matter what comes their way, they still stand for truth because they know that their destiny is eternity. They know their destiny is heaven with Jesus Christ, and they know nothing can separate us from the love of God. That's Romans 8, 38 and 39, if you want to look it up. Matthew 10, verses 32 and 33 says, Whoever acknowledges me before others, I also will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown them before my Father in heaven. We acknowledge God not only with our words, but with our action. And those who disown God not only disown Him with their words, but also their action and their inaction. I want to tell you a final story here before I pray. Served a lot of churches through the years, some large, some medium, some small. I was pastoring this church. And this lady attended the church, and she had two teenage daughters. They all were saved, but she had a husband who was not. He refused to come to church. He, he refused to even hear anything about God. But she asked me to come to the house and, and talk to him about accepting Jesus. So we had some things in common. We both liked basketball. We both liked sports. We started talking about those things. And then I shifted the conversation to where do you stand eternally with Jesus Christ? Let me talk about his love for you and what he's done for you and he, he immediately got this scowl on his face, and he said, get the blankety-blank out of my house right now. I do not want to talk to you about this. And I said, are you sure? He goes, get out. So I left. A couple years later, the wife called me on the phone and said, he's in the hospital, he's dying. He's alert. He's not on any medication. Well, I need you to come. I'm there at the hospital with our kids. I really want you to come and try to talk to him one more time before he passes. So I went. Warp speed. I got down there to the hospital. I'm sitting there talking to him. Again, he starts cussing me. And all of a sudden, he sets up in the bed and he says, Oh, my God, can you see the demons in the room? Oh, my God, can you feel this heat that's capturing me where I'm at? And I said to him, won't you accept Christ? Let's talk about this. It's too late for me. I'm in agony. I am suffering. Ah! And that's how the man died. Right in front of me, right in front of his wife, right in front of his children. Talking about flames engulfing him, demons around him. And that's how the man passed from this world to hell. A few days later, I had to do his funeral. What am I going to tell folks who are saying that there? I know he went to hell. He rejected every attempt for God to help him. He had a choice to make, and he rejected God at every turn. At the funeral, I shared that story. After the funeral, a couple of people came forward and accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. You have that choice today. If you do not know God as your Lord and Savior, when you exit out here, go out into the lobby and go right. Somebody will be there waiting for you to talk to you about salvation. 
Please make that choice today. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for Jesus Christ. The Bible says he's not only the author, but the finisher of our faith. Help us to realize today that Christ's gift of eternal life was, was bought with a price. It was bought with the blood of Jesus Christ through his love, his great love for us. If we do not know him today, help us to step forward in faith to accept him. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.